Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. Good morning. So this morning uh, is November 11th. 2018, Veterans Day in our country, and we just had two days ago the Ambleside School, which I'm the music teacher at, my daughter is a kindergartner in, we just had our annual Veterans Day Chapel, and I've led this event for seven years now, and I didn't really realize the impact until last night as I'm talking to my daughter, um, she brought up some of the stories that were shared by the veteran who was a Navy SEAL, who spoke in that Veterans Chapel on, on Friday. And I realized that there's this great potential of sharing a story with someone that um, a lot of times we miss, especially with those who are of a different generation than us. So this morning, I want to invite you into a time where we are going to hear some stories. We're going to see some parallels of service in the military, service in the world, service to Christ, And I hope that this will be an edifying time, just as a sermon normally would be. So would you join me in welcoming uh, our veterans to the stage, please? Well, starting off, uh, why don't we go down the line, tell, tell us uh, what motivated you to join the service, it should be on, Father Ron, um, what motivated you to join the service, and uh, how long did you serve? Well, I joined the service way back in 1954, that's when I enlisted, and uh, I joined the service right out of high school, that's what was my plan, you see, I was in high school, I was in the junior ROTC, and I happened just happened to be successful in that and I really fell in love with the the whole idea of the military of the order and the uh, the pomp and circumstance and everything that was in there but also at that time it was uh, during the Korean War and that was going on and I just wanted to join the service for that reason so and as it happened uh, I wanted to go in my junior year, but my parents would not allow me to do that. I was underage. So uh, I had to wait another year. So I graduated from high school in the, uh, June of 1954 and went out to San Diego and was in, enlisted in the Marine Corps in November, November the 2nd, in fact, it was, in uh, 1954. Thank you. I was pulled out of grad school and drafted during the Vietnam War and uh, served with the U.S. Navy for three years and ten months. The Navy sent me to school to be a field interpreter in the Vietnamese language. Uh, Two years of intense language training with no English and I went over to the country uh, soon after finishing school there and became a mouthpiece for a special intelligence unit with a top secret mission 
which put me in contact with the natives more than the Americans who were my comrades there. And uh, I developed a bond with the Vietnamese people because they assumed that since I spoke their language, I saw things as they did. And so as a result of that, I developed a very close connection with many of them in various parts of the country, mostly in the Iron Triangle, as it was called, the southeast corner of Vietnam. And uh, as a result of my experience with them, I had an extraordinary insight, which many Americans, of course, wouldn't have gained there. Uh, to this day, I still speak the language because it's easy to practice if you go to a nail salon. <laughs> and so uh, I've been able to keep the language up to a considerable extent. Hi, good morning, Phil Rogers. You don't know me, I'm an eight o'clocker. Uh, <laughs> um, I graduated college in 1971. Uh, spent the summer uh, hanging out, surfing, and got a little note from the Army. And uh, my parents did not want me to serve. Uh, I figured I didn't have a choice, so I went down to the Air Force recruiter. As you notice, I'm not in an Army uniform, I'm in an Air Force uniform. Uh, went in, Sergeant Jones, I remember him to this day. Uh, walk in, told him I was a college graduate, and he said, well, he said, you want to be an officer? I said, well, they make more money, right? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. And uh, then he asked me about my health. I had played sports in college and, and uh, pretty good shape. So he said, you want to be a pilot? I said, yeah, that sounds like fun. So uh, there, I, there I went, uh, took some tests, and off I went into the, uh, into the Air Force. Now, Phil, you, um, you shared a story at the first service uh, where you experienced fear, and you were on the base, and your family was on the base at the time, correct? Yeah, can you, can you share? Yeah, I was a, I was a trained B-52 guy. Um, going back to that last question, uh, it took a year, well, let's say about two years to go through training, pilot training, B-52 training, specialized training, and uh, they had shut down the Vietnam War prior to my finishing up training, so I didn't get a chance to serve like many of you have. Um, I was flying B-52s, and those of you uh, back in the, in the 60s and 70s, 80s, know the Cold War. We had a bunch of B-52s fully loaded with nuclear weapons ready to go to war at any moment. And I was one of those guys. And uh, it was middle of the winter. I was upstate New York. Uh, we used to have a exercise once a week where you'd run out to the airplane, they would time you and see how long it took you to get to the airplane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they had a no exercise status, which meant that there were conditions that they didn't want to have any exercises. That if the horn went off, it was the real thing. And we were in the middle, I was on alert, we were in the middle of a huge snowstorm. There was three feet of snow on the ground. Uh, 9.15, Monday night, I remember because of Monday night football. And uh, the whole alert force is sitting there watching TV, and uh, the horn went off. And everybody, there was a pregnant moment there where we all looked at each other and went, this is the real thing. And uh, ran several hundred yards out to the airplanes and uh, threw three feet of snow. Uh, 
got out to the airplanes, got the engines going and getting ready to go and waiting for the next message as far as whether we go or whether we just stay. And while we're sitting there waiting, it seemed like an eternity, um, we realized that this is reality. And my thoughts went immediately back to my house. I lived 10 miles from the base. I had a wife and children. And I realized that once I took off, uh, I may not come back to them. And uh, that was a hard moment, a very, very hard moment for me. And uh, well, that's all. This next question is for Father Ron. One of my favorite quotes from Abraham Lincoln, uh, he wrote this. I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. It's Abraham Lincoln. Uh, this could be for any of us, but I'm interested, Father Ron, uh, you, you had an interesting experience while you were in the service of coming in contact with Jesus, having a heightened prayer life. Could you share a little bit of that? Yes, I will. It so happened that uh, after, of course, I went to boot camp and combat school, and I was then ba sent back to San Diego, and I went to communication school. <clears throat> While I was there, I, even though I'd been active in the Episcopal Church prior to going into the service, I wasn't that spiritually active in the church. I was there because they had a fantastic youth group. And that's why I went there as a youth. And then when I was out in San Diego, I found a church out there, a Baptist church, and something very spiritual happened to me. They had a softball team. <laughs> and I love softball. But the only way I could be on their team is to go to their church. And when I went to the church there, I got more and more involved in the church, and especially to the Sunday evening adult services. And it was there that I became involved and saw the, the personal relationship between the congregants there and, and Jesus. And that slowly began to grow on me. And I saw how, how lovely the relationship was, and that began to affect me. And so that was really my first indication that this was something that I wanted to carry on later in life. So, Doc, um, is there, after you left the service, was there an experience or something that you, that you took from that time uh, that you've carried with you as a civilian in your life day to day? Um. One of the most formative experiences occurred actually while I was still in Vietnam. After a, one particular rocket attack, and I'm not sure actually to this day whether it was 57 millimeter or an aircraft artillery or B-40 rockets were being lobbed at us, a Vietnamese civilian gave me a gold cross with a gold chain. And uh, in, out of respect for the gift, I put it on right away and continued to wear it. And over time, when I left the service, I still had that cross on, never took it off, even in the shower, 
Here it is. And as I thought more about it, I began to realize what that cross symbolized. The greatest sacrifice ever made by anyone in this world. And that helped sustain me, although at that time I was a believer, I wasn't an active worshiper. And for the next stage of my life, when I did become a more active worshiper, I owe that to my better half, Gail, who brought me back to the church. Uh, Phil, what do you, after you left the service, what do, what do you miss most about the service? Well, I think that <laughs> um, I spent 25 years in the Air Force, and uh, they were the best 25 years of my life. And uh, I was a follower when I was in school. I wasn't a leader. But uh, when I went into service, um, all that stuff came out. I ended up a squadron commander. But uh, there's things that you see in the movies. There's things you hear about on TV, interviews with the veterans. And it's about the brotherhood. Now, I didn't serve on the ground in Vietnam. I wasn't shot at, although... I came close in B-52s. Uh, but there's that band. There's that closeness that unless you've been there, it's one of those unless you've been there stories, uh, you really can't feel. And it goes not only for the guys on the ground, well, especially for the guys on the ground, but it goes for everybody. Uh, when I would drive onto that base, there was security, there was friendship. There was a sense of um, everyone doing the same job for the same purpose, the same feelings. And that was powerful, very powerful. And I think all of the members of the military, with very few exceptions, feel the same way. And uh, those of you out there that are veterans, I'm sure you know. And it's very hard to explain uh, that deep feelings that you have, the connections that you have. And uh, I think uh, you, that was pretty much what I took out of the military. I think that was a question I forgot. No, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Getting to that age. And that's, it's so true. As you think about the church, uh, there's a famous theologian who said, um, we find our identity while on mission. We find our identity while on mission. And, of course, the mission of the church is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is, I have come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And it's not in going overseas and being served by people that you had that sense of camaraderie and togetherness and unity, but it's together we, are, we have chosen this life. We have chosen this life of service. And that's what we see. And, and I, I think, you know, for us as a civilian... Uh, myself for 28 years now, um, there's, a, there's a part of that that I don't understand because I have not experienced that. But to hear you put that into words makes me thirst for it. A, yeah. One thing, if I can add it. Um, I, was, uh, I went over to Southeast Asia uh, in 1975, uh, right when Saigon was falling. And I was, again, in B-52s. We were told, we were supposed to be going home, and we were told to, uh, we were on alert, uh, unpack your bag and go out in pre-flight airplanes that were fully loaded with iron bombs. And uh, they had started the evacuation of Saigon. 
And Udapau, Thailand, which is where we were, was a stone's throw away from Vietnam. And uh, all of their airplanes were evacuating to Udapau. And planes were coming in with uh, hundreds and hundreds of people on them. Uh, planes built for 50 to 75 people were carrying 175 people. And uh, they took those folks and they put them into these fenced-in areas. And I walked down to see them. And they had this look of total desperation. Total, total fear of where they are and what's going to happen to them. And what I sensed myself was they were saying to me as a B-52 pilot, where were you? Why didn't you come and help? And I've carried that. It wasn't my decision, but I've carried that with me as well. You know, here these folks are that were in this horrible situation and we were in uh, circumstances where we may have made a difference, I don't know. But uh, members of the military carry those situations. And Doc, I'm sure you have many of them, as well as you, Father. Uh, where you feel you could have done more. And for some reason, it didn't happen. Doc, do you have anything to add to that? Or have you... Um I share those feelings as a brother in arms. I came out of Vietnam with more baggage than Orlando Airport. But as most vets who have been through an experience like that will tell you, they come back with a lot of guilt because of the buddies they lost over there. And uh, to this day, I can't explain how it is that I managed to get out alive. It was through no particular prowess on my part. Uh, some might call it luck. I believe there was something behind which was far more transcendent and powerful than that. Although at the time I didn't think much about it because I was so mission-driven as most of us were. Interestingly, uh, being at the bottom end of the B-52 payloads, I can tell you that the Vietnamese referred to them as silent death because at combat altitude they flew so high that they couldn't be heard. All of a sudden the ground rumbles, and you can't imagine that people stateside didn't feel those vibrations. They were so intense, it was like an earthquake. I'll never forget that. Um, but to this day, I still bear that guilt, as, as you heard, uh, mostly for the guys who didn't come back, uh, including one of them whom I played baseball with for years as a boy. And it took me more than a decade to go down and look at that Vietnam Memorial, because of some of the names on that wall. As to what I got out of uh, what I went through when I went in, into the Corps, I had planned to make it a, a career, but three years later, Marcy and I got married. And because of that, uh, I just didn't want to have married life and military life work together. But what I learned while I was in the Corps, the leadership that I learned, and the camaraderie that I learned while I was in there, and the fact that, you know, what, do, what can I use that for? Well, I really can't use a lot of the things I learned in the Corps because we were taught to go out and kill people. And that's not really what's in my mind today. But what I, and I had said this earlier this morning, uh, I came out of the, uh, the Corps 
and decided that I, I liked the uniforms. So I went to seminary and I'm still wearing a uniform. But the, the big similarity in all of this, this last week when I was thinking about this, that when you put together everything that I'd done since I graduated from high school, it, it comes around to about 64 years of dedicating my life to serving others. And that is what I've been doing and I'm proud of it. Now, I, I'm not like these two gentlemen here. I've never been shot at at, a, at any time. In fact, I feel you know, that I went in right after Korea and before Vietnam. And I felt that I was more than luck. No, I've been blessed because of that. And that blessing I carry on through so much that I've experienced since then, that God is in my life and directing my life and sometimes I don't realize it until after the event happens. And I look back on it and, hey, God's there with me. And I thank him for that. Powerful. You, you spoke a little bit earlier at the, at the first service um, about the motto of the Marine, Semper Fi. How does that play out in your life? Semper Fi, always faithful. And that's what you know, all of us are, are trying to do here, for us here individually to be faithful to each other, to be faithful in our relationships, to be faithful in our lives, to pay, be faithful to God. And this is so important. And there's, there's one thing that I, I think of so much, and maybe some of you have, have read Othello. And in Othello, the disillusioned warrior he has this part in there that kept saying, you know, farewell to the spot, pomp and circumstance. Farewell to the, the shriek and, and the pipe and the drum. Farewell to war. And I just hope that so many of us can say, you know, farewell to glorifying war. War is a sign of failure. So even though at this time when we praise and thank the veterans in our lives, I say the same thing. I'm proud to, a, to be a Marine Corps veteran. I'm proud to be a priest. But let us keep our prayers for peace, saying farewell to war. Amen to that. Before we close today, uh, I started by saying earlier that um, these stories are important. Uh, a, few, a few months ago, I was up in Nashville, and I grew up with a cousin, uh, my cousin Stephen, who's in the National Guard, and I was there when he graduated from boot camp originally, and I remember telling my grandma, I think I was 15 at the time, watching all the men uh, march very, just, um, very, very impressively. I remember telling her, I think I want to do that one day. Um, I started to count the cost after that, though. <laughs> that did not happen. But I was up at his house, and he has uh, six kids under the age of eight, he and his wife. Pretty incredible. And he, uh, the next day, we were all saying, we were, it was a, a hard time. We were saying goodbye to him for 10 months. He's over in Kosovo right now. And uh, they have a little piano in one of their rooms, and I walked back, and as I typically do, if there's an instrument around, I just started playing. And I have an arrangement of the Star Spangled Banner, that I've come up with, I'm kind of proud of. And so I just, the kids were there, I started playing it. And I thought I knew what, what 
kids singing with abandon sounded like. <laughs> but being in Stephen's home with their, with their six kids, it was unbelievable hearing the passion that they have and the family story that they have um, supporting their dad as they are tearfully saying goodbye to him the next day. I was just thinking about that so much of, you know, these kids are being shaped by this. And truly, all of us can be shaped by this, but sometimes we forget that we need to take the priority and step forward and ask the questions, shake the hands, make the eye contact with those who have served in every generation. And uh, so to do that, I, I, just, I would just like to uh, take a moment and recognize all of those in this room who have served in the armed forces. Would you please stand so we can recognize you? Thank you. Thank you for your service. May we continue to pray for peace, and may, uh, Father Ron, would you close us in prayer? Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us. We thank you for sending us your Son to be example for us to follow. Help us to understand, dear Lord, that we live in a world where we constantly disagree with one another. But please, Lord, help us to understand in your commandment to love one another, even our enemies. Help us to understand that we can love one another, but we do not have to agree with one another. We do not have to be violent with one another. Give us the courage. Give us the understanding. Give us the wisdom to realize that in time that we too can look forward to that time when there is no war. There may be differences, but we do not need the violence of war, for war is a sign of failure. Help us understand that, dear Lord. Be with us, and we give thanks to all veterans who have sacrificed so much. But keep us understanding that the Old Testament prophets said over and over again that God does not want our human sacrifices. He wants us, our love for each other and our love for him. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace. Peace.